the Lord he wanted to see and how the Lord changed his life 180 degrees, radical change. Uh, he went from Mr. Greedy to Mr. Generous, and the only one who could make that kind of a change was Jesus. Uh, well, today we're going to uh, look at John chapter number 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 to start with this morning. It says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. And let's pray one more time together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this particular event, this particular encounter uh, that we read about here in the book of John. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, teach us some things. And uh, Lord, as you uh, speak to our hearts, help us once again to uh, receive your word and to apply your word and to obey your word as we go our way today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as you read through the Word of God, you'll come to know that Jesus has many titles in the Scriptures. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the great shepherd. He is the bread of life. He is the king of the Jews. He is the son of man. He is the son of God. He is the great I am. Jesus is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the Alpha and Omega. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He is our bridegroom. He is the one and only Messiah. He is the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father, wonderful Counselor. He's the Redeemer. He's the Savior of the world. The Word of God tells us He is the mighty God. He is Emmanuel, which we all know means God with us. He is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And the title we're going to focus on today is, Jesus is the light of the world. Verse number five, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And uh, we're going to look really at the reason we picked this passage is because in verse number four, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Now, Jesus is the light of the world. Now, how did he show himself as the light of the world? How did he manifest himself as light of the world? Well, in this passage this morning, we're going to see three ways in which Jesus showed himself as the light of the world, as he healed a blind man in more ways than one. Uh, Because it wasn't just a physical healing that Jesus gave this blind man 
Uh, this man also was, this blind man was also set free from his spiritual blindness as well. And so this morning, I want us to notice, first of all, that Jesus manifested himself, uh, first of all, as light of the world in his mission, in his mission. In verse number four, he really gives us, verses four and five, he gives us his mission. Verse four says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He tells us about his mission. He tells us really kind of one of the reasons why he came. Well, let's talk about this mission here very briefly this morning. First of all, this mission was a mission of obedience. It was a mission of obedience. (coughs) Excuse me. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. In other words, I have to do it. It, It's something I, I must do. Uh, he knew that it was in a matter of obedience. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, if you recall, the very first message in this series, when we, the title of that message was First Words, the first recorded words of Jesus Christ talked about his mission. Uh, he said, um, Wish ye not that I must be about my Father's business. In other words, Jesus, or God has sent me, my Father has sent me here, and I must be about my Father's, it's a matter of obedience. I need to be obedient to my Father. And he didn't come to do his own thing, he came to be obedient to his heavenly Father. In John chapter 6, and verse number 38, here Jesus says, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which He hath sent me, that all which He hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. So Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And He was going to be obedient to to His heavenly Father. So it was a mission of obedience. But it was also a mission of urgency. In verse number four, he said, I must the work the works of him that sent me. And then here he goes, while it is day. Why? Because the night cometh when no man can work. You see, Jesus understood that his days were numbered here on this earth. And uh, he wanted to make sure that he was going to make the most of each moment. And by the way, uh, as you think about the life of Christ... Uh, do you realize that Jesus never once wasted any time? Everything that he did was uh, calculated and on purpose, uh, including what he did here in John chapter number 9. It was a mission of urgency because he knew that he had a limited time here on this earth. And friend, uh, we need to remember that we all have a limited time here on this earth as well. And and hopefully we have a, a sense of urgency when it comes to doing the will of the Father that has sent us as well. So it was a mission of obedience. It was a mission of urgency. And it was also a mission to be the light of the world. Verse number five, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Not the only time that Jesus declared that he was the light of the world. No, he actually declared it a couple more times in the book of John. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) John chapter 8 and verse number 12, Jesus says this, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, 
I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So Jesus first declares in John chapter 8, the previous chapter, that he's the light of the world. And then John chapter 9 and verse number 5, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in John chapter 12, he repeated it. John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. I mentioned a few months ago that I love lighthouses. Um, I have several lighthouses, over a dozen lighthouses in my uh, office. And uh, I like lighthouses. I enjoy the decoration. I enjoy what it uh, insinuates. Um, As ships are coming into shore and as perhaps even going through storms, those lighthouses are a beacon of hope and a beacon of uh, direction and a beacon of uh, safety. And Jesus, of course, is the ultimate beacon of hope, the ultimate beacon of safety. And Jesus said that he is the light of the world. And so that was his mission. Uh, It was a mission of obedience. It was a mission of urgency. And it was a mission to be the light of the world. But I want us to see, secondly, this morning, he didn't just manifest himself as the light of the world in his mission, but he also manifested himself as light of the world in the miracle that he performed in his miracle. Uh, John chapter 9 and verse number 1, Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And then in verse number 6 and 7, we see the healing of this blind man. Um, How did Jesus manifest his uh, mission here as the light of the world? Well, he did so by performing a miracle to give light to someone who is in physical darkness. But he also gave greater light to that same man who was also in spiritual darkness. You see, Jesus came not just to give us physical healing, although he did heal many people in the Bible. Ultimately, he came to give us the greatest healing of all, and that was the forgiveness of our sins and uh, to give us the hope of eternal life. In this miracle, we see a couple aspects here about Jesus. First of all, we learn and, and he showed the purpose of trials in our lives uh, in this particular passage. These guys, these disciples, in verse number two, as they looked at this blind man that Jesus came across, these disciples assumed they knew the answer. They knew the reason why this man was going through this blindness and had this blindness. Verse number two, his disciples asked him, saying, Well, somebody sinned, so master, who was it? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, how could this man sin before he was born? Well, these disciples had this uh, weird theology or weird uh, belief that uh, perhaps in a different life before he had sinned and was reincarnated. The disciples had no idea that that was uh, a complete heresy. So his disciples thought, oh, he was probably, he probably messed up in his previous life and was reincarnated uh, to now being blind. And so God judged him for his, uh, his sin previously. Or maybe he thought his parents 
had committed great sin, and that's why uh, they were judged by having a, a child with this disability. And so they were assuming this was the answer. Um, now, obviously, we remember Job's friends uh, and the story of Job and how he was experiencing or he experienced tremendous trials and difficulty. And, of course, his friends come along and uh, assume the same thing about him. Job, I know why you're going through this. It's because you did sin, because there's wickedness in your heart. And they, he said, it's, it's your fault. And we all know the answer. That was not the case at all. No, it was uh, God, God was actually using Job as an illustration to point to uh, Satan that, hey, uh, my, my servants don't just serve me because I bless them. They serve me because they love me. I'll take the blessings away, and they'll still love me. And so Job proved that uh, he loved the Lord despite all the blessings. Well, several weeks ago, I brought a message about why God allows trials into our lives. This was, took place right after the, uh, the terrible accident uh, right down the street as uh, several high school students over here at Moore High School were hit by a, by a drunk driver. And uh, we talked about why God allows different trials into our lives. And uh, Jesus here tells us one of the reasons that uh, trials come into our lives and and uh, certainly was the case here for this blind man. Verse 3, he said, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. By the way, he's not saying that they never sinned as far as they were sinless. That's not what he's trying to say here. He's just saying that's not why that this trial was allowed, this difficulty uh, was allowed. He said, This is why, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words... I wanted him to be blind so that one day I could come by and heal him and show to all of you that I am indeed the light of the world. And so God allows trials in our lives for a myriad of reasons. Here's some of the ones, here's some of the biblical reasons why God allows trials into our lives. According to James chapter number one, it's to grow our faith. You know, if you're trying to build muscle, um, it's not going to happen by sitting on the couch. Uh, it's going to take something that's difficult. My boys and I are in the middle of a 30-day push-up challenge. Uh, we started with five push-ups, and then we add two every day. Uh, there's been a couple days of rest along the way. Uh, not enough days of rest, if my, in my personal opinion. <laughs> um, but uh, we've been doing this, and we're up to, uh, we did 25 yesterday, we got to do 27 today. Um, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're doing them, it's, it, it, it's a lot. And uh, we're not, we don't love it when it's time to do these push-ups. But you know, when we do this, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's a struggle, well, we end up building muscle. Uh, same thing is true in our faith. We're not going to grow in our faith by everything just going hunky-dory all the time. Many times God allows us to go through a time of trial to strengthen our spiritual muscles, to, to strengthen our spiritual faith in Him. And so that's one reason why God allows uh, trials. Also, He allows trials sometimes to humble us. And we think, oh, we're doing pretty good. and <sighs> It's because I'm such a great Christian. 
okay, well, maybe it's time for a trial to make you realize how good of a Christian you really are not and how much you desperately need the Lord. This happened to the Apostle Paul, to the greatest Christian, uh, arguably, in history, other than, of course, Jesus Christ himself, but, but, but the Apostle Paul, a sinner who was saved by grace, one of the greatest Christians. This is what the Lord did in his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he was, uh, had a thorn in his flesh, and he, here's what he said, Lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn of the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He said, God needed to humble me, and I knew that. And so this thorn in the flesh, this trial, this struggle, this difficulty in my life was meant to keep me humble. And so many times that's why God allows something like this in our lives. He also allows it uh, trials in our lives to sometimes discipline us, draw us back to himself. Now, not always does this happen, but sometimes when we're living away from the Lord, God will use a trial in our lives to discipline us and, and bring us back into the fold. Now, we can't always assume that this is the case in others, but uh, in our own lives, we need to ask the question, Lord, are you trying to get me on the right path? Have I veered off course, and are you trying to uh, bring me back to yourself? How else does, what, why else does he allow trials into our lives? Well, also to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. If you have, uh, and I used this illustration when I went through this message, but if I had um, some Play-Doh here and, and I wanted to form something, well, it requires some pinching, some uh, pulling, and some uh, pushing, and uh, well... In our lives, we don't like to have things pinched. We don't like to have things pulled away from us. We don't have to, we don't like some of that stuff. And yet, when God is trying to conform us to the image of Christ, sometimes it's not going to be comfortable. Sometimes it might even hurt a little. But ultimately, we're being formed in the image of Christ. And this is the ultimate goal that God has for each of us as believers. He also allows trials in our lives to equip us to comfort others down the road. He knows that uh, God may cross our paths somewhere down the road with someone else who needs to know what it's like to experience a trial that you have gone through, and they're now going through it currently. And you can be in a source of encouragement. You could be a source of a comfort to them. And then also, the last one, uh, why does God allow trials in our lives? Many times we don't know why God allows trials in our lives. And we may never know this side of glory, and we may never know even the other side of glory why God allows everything. But God is sovereign, and, and He knows, and his re He has a reason. So I want to encourage all of us, when someone else is experiencing a trial or going through a time of suffering, don't assume you know why they are. That was not a comfort to Job when his friend said, I know why, I've got all the answers, here's why. It's because you're, you're wicked. Well, that wasn't really comforting to him. That didn't help him during that time. And you know, when someone in your family or in our church family is experiencing a trial, it's not the time to analyze all the reasons why God is doing it. That's the time to simply pray for them and that God's purposes would be accomplished in their time of trial. And that's a great prayer request. Lord, please allow your purposes in their trial to be fulfilled. 
Uh, please allow them to learn what they need to learn and to, uh, to get what they need to get out of this particular trial. That's a great prayer request for those in times of trial. So when Jesus did this, he was showing the purpose for trials. But he was also showing the power of Christ. He was also showing his own power and how he could do something that could not be done other than God himself doing it. Verse number 6, this is an amazing uh, part of this event here. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And then he took that, that mixture, that little mud. I know it looked kind of gross to think about it. But he took that little mixture there, and, and the Bible calls it clay, and, and, he anointed the, and, he, and he took that and he anointed the eyes of that blind man with the clay. He put this mud uh, mixed with dirt and, and the, the spittle of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he put that on his eyes. Well, then he says, verse number seven, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Amazing. Uh, this guy who had never seen before, I was, I was going to show a video and I couldn't find a good one of, of someone seeing for the first time after being given some special glasses and uh, there weren't that many, I mean, it was, it was neat to see um, these, these people seeing their spouses for the first time. These people seeing uh, their loved ones for the first time and just how amazed they were at being able then to see. Can you imagine being this blind man, being able to see for the first time after who knows how long, who knows how many years he was like that. And yet he now is able to see. Pretty amazing. Now only God can do this. This was something that no one else could do. He couldn't do it himself. Uh, No one else could help him with this. Only God can do this. You see, whenever God does a miracle like this, it's supposed to trigger us to belief in him. To propel us to faith and to trust. This past Wednesday, we spoke about the omnipotence of our God and that nothing is too difficult for Him. I mentioned that if God could create the heavens and the earth by the power of His spoken word, and if He had the power to form the unborn child in the womb, there is nothing too hard for Him, including the situation that you are currently going through right now. He is well able to handle it. The little chorus that sometimes we sing here at Cornerstone, He is able. He's able. I know He's able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. Why? Because He healed the brokenhearted. He set the captive free. He made the lame to walk again. And He caused the blind to see. He's able. Friend, He's able to handle what you're going through right this very moment. It showed his power. So this miracle that he performed was a special miracle in that it showed the purpose of trials and it showed the power of Christ. But then I see number three here. We're going to kind of skip to the end of the chapter. We're going to see his message, how he manifested himself as the light of the world in his message. 
Verse number 35, I mentioned uh, that uh, Jesus uh, performed these miracles not just to give them physical healing, not just to uh, do something that wowed everybody, but he did this to propel people to faith and to trust in him. Verse number 35, after a lot of different uh, interrogations that have taken place uh, in, the, in the middle of this chapter, uh, the, uh, the man is asked by uh, the neighbors there and, and said, uh, why, why did this happen? Who did this? Um, and then the, the Pharisees get involved in verse 13. And uh, we'll get to verse 35 here in a minute. I'm just going to kind of quickly go through uh, the rest of this here. And uh, then the mom and dad get involved. Remember that? And then, and then they ask the man himself, what, what, what happened here? In verse number 25, here's what the, the, the man said. Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. And that's one of the reasons we sang Amazing Grace this morning, because he's not just talking about physical. Uh, eventually, he's going to get to where he can see spiritually as well. Well, then now we go to verse 35. Now Jesus interrogates him. And so verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Well, who is he, Lord? that I might believe on him. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And I love verse 38. And he said, Lord, I believe. And then I love the last part of verse 38. And he worshipped him. So his message, Jesus gives a message here in verse 35 through 41 regarding the process of salvation regarding the process of salvation. Uh, Jesus didn't say, dost thou work for the Son of God? No, he said, do you believe on the Son of God? And he said, well, man, who, who is he? I want to know who he is so that I can believe on him. And Jesus said, well, you're looking at him. I'm the Son of God. And then he said, I believe. See, look, it's always about belief and trust it's not by anything we can do. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look, it's nothing we can do in order to receive salvation. It's nothing we can do to receive eternal life. Uh, there's not an amount of good works you can do. There's not an amount of money you can donate there's not an amount of anything we can do in order to receive salvation. It's only by grace through faith. Acts 16 and verse 31. As the uh, jailer there at Philippi uh, was realizing that Paul and Silas, as they're there in that prison, were uh, the real deal. He asked them, what must I do to be saved? And you know what the Apostle Paul and Silas said? Well, you got to join a church. And you've got to tithe every Sunday. And you've got to read your Bible every day and pray and get baptized. Then you'll be saved. That's not what they said. No, Acts, Acts, Acts chapter 16 verse 31 said, They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's it. Belief, faith, trust. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given 
among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. So once he believed on Jesus Christ, I like in verse number 38 where the Bible says, and he worshiped him. Once again, we see evidence. We see fruit in the life of someone who trusted in Jesus Christ. The question I've been asking recently throughout this series is this. Is there fruit in your life? Is there evidence of the fact that you believed on Christ? I hope the answer is yes. I hope you can look at my life and say, yeah, the answer is I see some evidence. So the process of salvation is not by anything we can do, but just like here, it's all about do you believe on the Son of God? And so his message is, first of all, regarding the process of salvation, but also regarding the possibility of sight. In verse 39, he said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see might not see. And they which, uh, I'm sorry, let me read that again, that they which see not might see, and then they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Well, if you were blind, Jesus said, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, look, I didn't come just to give physical sight, but to give spiritual sight. The ability to see and to understand God's truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talked about this concept. Verse number 4, he said, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look, sight is more than just being able to see physically. Sight is being able to understand what God is doing and to understand the Word of God. For those who do not believe, God uh, says that uh, the, <clears throat> the devil, the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So as you're talking to somebody, and, and to us it makes perfect sense, but to someone who's uh, not saved, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, why? Because... Uh, the devils have, have blinded the minds of them which believe not. Jesus came to give sight to those who see not. And uh, if you're here this morning and you've been blinded, I hope that today you'll be healed. Not just the physical healing is wonderful, but I hope that you are healed spiritually and are able to see. That's the introduction. Here's the real message. But don't worry, the real message is short. What, what, what do we take away from all of this this morning? Well, first of all, I want to ask the same question that Jesus asked the blind man in verse 35. Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Has there been a point in your life when you believed on Jesus Christ? You say, well, no, I've always believed I've heard that I don't know how many times from people as I've talked to them about the gospel. Oh, I've always believed. I know what they mean, you know, they've grown up in it and they've kind of always under kind of always called themselves a Christian or have been part of a church. 
But has there been a moment like the, the blind man when he said, I believe? Has there been a point in your life when you've been born again? If not, would you make the greatest decision of your life today on Memorial Day weekend 2020 to be born again? Have you believed? Okay, for those of us who have believed on Christ, I believe there's a tremendous application for all of us today. When I pointed out the mission that Jesus had when he was on, uh, here on earth, can I remind us that Jesus gave us that same mission? I didn't really get to it until right now. But look, the same mission that Jesus had is the same mission that you and I should have as well. John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus said, As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. So just as Jesus was sent by his Father, now Jesus sends his disciples, which, by the way, is you and I who are believers. So just as Jesus was given a mission to fulfill, he's given us that same mission. And what was that mission? It was a mission of obedience. A mission to be obedient to the will of the Father and do the works of Him that sent us. God has given you a mission and a purpose to fulfill. Are you going to be obedient to that mission? Are you going to be obedient to the one who has sent you? He's given all of us a plan to fulfill, a, a mission to accomplish. What a privilege it is to be able to serve the Lord and to be called upon Him to serve Him. Let's be obedient like Jesus was. And I'm thankful that Jesus was obedient to the very end. And Philippians chapter 2 says he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So it was a mission of obedience. It was also a mission of urgency, remember? You and I are given a limited time. The Bible calls our life a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. What are you going to do with that vapor? Let's have the same urgency that Jesus had when he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. Some of you may, may know that on Sunday mornings I, I, I take a walk in a park before I come to church, and, and along this walk there is a cemetery uh, right next to the park. Boy, that is a tremendous Good reminder for me to know that, look, I better uh, make the most of the days that God gives me because one day I'm going to be in that cemetery or one like it. Our life is a vapor, and we better make sure that we're urgent about the work of God. And then his mission was to be the light of the world. And think about this, Jesus, who is the light of the world, has called us to be the light of the world as well. Do you realize that this is the only title that Jesus had that he has transferred to you and to me? He's not called us to be Redeemer, he's not called us to be the Messiah, but he has called us to be the light of the world. He shares this title with us. Friend, if that doesn't make you feel privileged and, and uh, a huge weight of responsibility on you, uh, I hope that you do. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Oh, please let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There are a lot of Christians who uh, maybe don't understand that they are the light of the world and as a result have, have put their light under a bushel. No one would really know that they're a believer. No one would really know that they're a Christian. It was growing dark one night. The waves of the vast Lake Erie, almost a little ocean in itself, hissed and curled against the base of the inner lighthouse near Cleveland, Ohio. The lighthouse keeper's job wasn't always convenient. His job was to keep the great lighthouse inside the harbor lit and also to tend and light a line of small, smaller oil lanterns to guide ships into the channel toward the harbor. The inner harbor had been created as a safe haven where ships could flee when the sudden and dangerous Lake Erie storms arose. Well, despite the great lighthouse beacon, a ship would be dashed to pieces on the rocks without the little lights to lead them through the narrow rock-lined passage. You could imagine what it would be like to go out into the gathering blackness and painstakingly trudge from light to light, filling and lighting each lantern. What a pain. It was a thankless, it was a thankless task. The lighthouse keeper had been on this job for several years and rarely had any ship needed to find the harbor at night. Why should he even bother? Uh, maybe it was this discouraging thought or his health or an oversight. For whatever reason, the lights were not lit that night. And as the night deepened, a violent storm hurled itself upon Lake Erie that could toss great ships as if they were toys and smash them against the shorelines with terrifying deadly menace. The storms on this huge lake are not to be trifled with. As the tempest grew into roaring mountains of turbulent waves and screaming winds, a, a desperate captain tensed beside the wheel of a ship. Nearby stood an old pilot, also straining his eyes into the ominous blackness. Underneath the ship heaved and creaked, and the wooden decks were slippery with water. The captain squinted in the darkness. Are you sure this is Cleveland? He asked the pilot. Quite sure, sir, replied the pilot, his hands clamped fast upon the wheel. But where are the lower lights? They're out, sir. Well, can you make it? We must, sir, or we'll perish. Well, there was nothing else they could do. Desperately, the old pilot tried to find his way into the channel without the lights that should have been there. But the pitiless sea fractured and pulverized the ship against the rocky shoreline. Unfortunately, many lives were lost that night, all because of one man who did not do his job to keep the lower lights burning. Brother and sister in Christ, can I encourage you this morning to keep your lights on? Because you never know when someone needs to find their way home and when God would want to use you to point them to safety. God has called us the same thing that he referred to himself as. The light of the world. 
It's not just a title for him. It's a title for you and for me. But it's not a title that we go around bragging, I am the light of the world. No, it's a title of responsibility. It's a title of a call, a mission to fulfill. I want to encourage all of us this morning as we look at this must, to have the same must in our own hearts. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. There's going to come a point where you're not going to be able to be the light of the world anymore. Where your opportunity to shine brightly for Christ will be over. And so I hope that you'll be like Jesus and says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I hope that you'll have that same motto, that same mission in your own heart. Let's pray together this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage, this particular instance of the word must. Lord, thank you for the mission that you had. Thank you for the miracle that you performed and the message that you gave. And now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take up that same mission and to fulfill it in our own lives because as the Father has sent you, even so, send Even so, you are sending us. And now, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to fulfill the mission you've given us. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be urgent. And help us to indeed be the light of the world to those around us. Lord, if there's one here today that has not yet believed, I pray, Lord, that they would make the greatest decision of their life and believe on Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening tonight or this morning. We're going to go ahead and end by uh, singing a song. The words will be on the screen. Every promise in the book is mine. And then I'll ask uh, Brother Randy to dismiss us here in a moment.